0: What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism podcast. I am so thrilled to be talking today with John Joseph. Many of you know John as the lead singer of the legendary New York hardcore band Cro-Mags. John is also an author. You may have read his book, Evolution of a Cro-Magnon, and John is also an Ironman competitor, among many other things. And now John has just started his own coaching business that you can check out at johnjosephdiscipline.com. Now, I've had the privilege of speaking with John a few times before, and he has been a big influence on the conceptual foundation of hardcore humanism. The name hardcore humanism has two meanings. The first is taking a cue from the term hardcore punk. The term hardcore was used to indicate that the genre was a more intense version of punk. The songs were even faster. The scene was even more independent. And so with hardcore humanism, we wanted to take the core values of humanistic psychology, faith in humanity, unconditional positive regard for people, and the desire to find purpose and self-actualize, and make it even more intense, particularly by giving people behavioral tools that they can put into practice. And the second meaning of the term hardcore humanism draws from the humanism that runs through hardcore punk and other underground genres of music. I have always been struck by how the very musical subcultures that have been marginalized or stereotyped, even called dangerous or harmful to society, are the ones that are often actually talking about humanity and trying to address the problems we face with music and activism. And so hardcore humanism reflects the experience I've had with punk rock, hardcore, heavy metal, hip-hop, and other previously marginalized subcultures that actually celebrate humanity. And to me, John epitomizes those hardcore qualities. He is someone who has overcome abuse, incarceration, homelessness, and addiction to build up his life and become the person he wanted to be. He's given us amazing heavy music like the cro seminal Age of Quarrel album. He's become an Ironman competitor and an author. And he's constantly out there working for causes like getting healthy plant-based food to the homeless and now taking that passion to the next level by becoming a life coach. So let's hear what John has to say. John, welcome to the Hardcore Humanism Podcast, my man.
1: Thank you, bro. Good to, good to be back. It's been a minute.
0: I know. You You are actually the... I think I have interviewed you more than any other single person that I've ever interviewed with this interview. We have now ah, really? surpassed. Yeah.
1: Cool. That, that's an honor.
0: <laughs> well, listen, you've been, as I've told you before, you've been a big influence on my thinking. Um, the idea that You're getting out into the coaching world is, is such a, such a thrill for me because I know how many people you help already, but now with this, it's going to be, uh, just another component and it's something that's very direct. So let's just, let's just get right down to it. You know, your program is about discipline. Let's just talk about how you came up with that, what you've been through in your life that, that led you to that moment.
1: Right. Well, um, you know, like, like you said, I've been in this space for, for a while, probably like 30 years giving people advice. So I went to school uh, during this whole pandemic and I got certified and all that stuff to be, I guess the space is called life coaching. I wanted to stay away from that though, because it's just a lot of, you know, no disrespect, but some corn, corny new age kind of stuff is involved with that. I didn't want to connect myself to that because What I do is a little different when it comes to like that type of coaching, the set of rules is that, you know, you're not supposed to kind of lead people. But I I find that the mixture of both works because I will give information on books to check out and websites and, you know, a lot of the information. But, you know, the thing is, all the shit I've been through in my life, you know, growing up foster homes and fucking crazy stuff. It was always that one aspect that when I applied myself to something and stayed disciplined, no matter what I was going through, I was able to overcome it. And one of the stories I like, I, I have my first, uh, what do you call it, Kickstarter class is Friday. So, you know, one of the things I talk about was staying so disciplined. You know, even when I was first uh, beginning with the Cro Mags, I was living in a burnt out building and uh no running water, no electricity, no windows, having to tape garbage bags over the windows, you know, writing lyrics by candlelight, taking showers at the fire hydrant in the freezing cold and then getting on my bike to ride 8 to 10 hours a day as a messenger so I could pay for the Mag rehearsals which I went to after work and then did it all again in you know the next day. So it was always that aspect of discipline Because if you don't have that, if you don't stay disciplined, and even when I was a monk from 82 to 84, that's what's drilled into you. In the military, it's drilled into you. Discipline, paying attention to detail, discipline, that whole aspect of trying to get ahead in life. I coach people who are dealing with substance abuse problems, trying to better themselves. I've been doing a lot of one-on-one coaching, and so far, it's been all... You know, business executive types looking to see what the next, how to keep progressing to push ourselves, and and that's that's what it's all about. That's why I, I surround myself by people that have that same mentality, you know. And, and I try to create uh, a community around people that don't quit and and um, help each other, you know. So that's where the coaching thing came in and my friend kept telling me like, dude, you got to get into coaching, man. You're like a natural at it. So I looked into it. You know, one of the things I said was that if, uh, if you didn't get your shit done during this pandemic and I kept saying that I was like, you didn't have, you didn't have a lack of time. You had a lack of discipline because I'm, I wrote new, you know, new music. I finished two books I trained for an Ironman triathlon, which I finished in November 22nd in Cozumel. I went to school for life coaching. I was doing my YouTube hard truth episodes, you know, so it's always you need that direction in life and the method. I developed a method for it, and it's what I've used for decades now, since 1981, And I even slipped up. I fell into addiction from 88 to 90, but slipping up and giving up is two different principles. And I always talk about that too. No matter, it's not how many times we get knocked on our ass. It's how many times we get back up and get back into the fight because we're all going to get knocked on our ass. That's the material world.
0: Yeah. But let me go even a step back because you know, you're, you're, you're saying, you know, and, and this is, look, this is part of what draws people to you, that you describe the things that have happened to you over the years as getting knocked on your ass. But any one of many of the things that you've experienced in your life, if anybody, you know, reads the evolution of a Cromag, you know, they, they know your history. Any one of those things would have led somebody to check out. And, and before you decided, like, I'm going to be disciplined, you had to decide that you were going to live for sure. And and a lot of people, quite frankly, I know a lot of people I work with, a lot of people that I that I've known would not necessarily have made that choice. And now it's it's all worked out really well for you. But but how did you know back then to say, look, I'm I'm gonna get through this somehow? So somehow, all these horrible things that have happened, I'm gonna make it through.
1: Well, I gotta tell you, man, it's it's mentorship, it's looking for those teachers because sometimes It's like we need that lifeline to be handed to us, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're drowning in the ocean, you know, you want somebody that's on the boat to save your life. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense if they jump in the ocean, too. Then you're going to be fishing out two bodies. So for me, it was. The teachers that were there, the bad brains and the whole community around that, this community that was created down on the Lower East Side of like forward thinking people. And then that led to me discovering my spiritual teacher, Prabhupada, and then getting the books. And I don't think I ever said I want to live because I never really was like I did things subconsciously that could have caused my death you know, drugs, and robbing dangerous drug dealers, and fucking, I never thought about it, I never thought about, hey, I want to check out, I just always stayed in the fight, no matter what, no matter, like I said, you know, people talk about hitting rock bottom, I, I went under the rocks, man, I was fucking under the damn rocks, with the maggots, and the worms, and the decaying fucking corpses, and where I was at, it was not a good place, and um, I knew I needed to change, and it was, I saw somebody that, you know, even during the addiction stuff, or when I came out of lockup and went back on the streets, and then the went into the military, and just all that stuff, it just seems like every time that teacher, that mentor would be there, and that's why it's so important you know, in life to, to have a coach or to have a a mentor, you know, somebody that can give you some insight that's looking from it, or even a therapist. Sometimes i tell people, Hey man, if you need to go get shit off your chest, go talk to a fucking professional, you know, not the ones that think that the answers to your problems are found in the little orange, uh, pill bottles with your name on it. I don't, I don't endorse that, man. I think, uh, 99.9% 99.9% of the problems could be resolved without having to take medications and all that stuff. And uh, I know so many that now I'm coaching some people who have been reducing their medications because you can't artificially, depression and all that, I, and I wrote about that in the PMA effect, it doesn't just hit overnight. It's the little steps. It's those little triggers that come along. Now was I have I been depressed in my life? Oh, fuck yeah, I would wake up crying in the mornings when I was a fucking drug addict that I just wanted to quit stop getting high, but I didn't have you know that 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 power to do that, but it was people that helped me that were on the boat that threw the lifeline to me, and that's why I think coaching and and you know having a mentor or somebody that can look into your situation from an outside perspective. And, you know, the thing about coaching is if you're an envious person or a narcissistic person, you, you're not going to be a coach because the coach wants the client to succeed, wildly be successful, even beyond what I've done. I, I want nothing but success for anybody that I coach. And happiness in life and and all of those wonderful things that are out there.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was uh, when I was doing more academic stuff, one of the one of the professors said, you know, good faculty want better faculty around them. Mediocre faculty want worse people around them.
1: It's so true. It's like and and I, I what I say is any of the good qualities that I have was from associating with those tier one individuals, you know, that's, there's a whole saying that, you know, a real teacher can, uh, can carry what you lack and preserve what you have. We're all lacking in certain things in life. Anybody that thinks they got it all figured out is fool number one, because nobody does. It should be a learning process from the moment we learned how to walk to the moment, you know, they, they put us in the dirt or ashes or whatever. So, but it's also, A lot of us do have good qualities and we want to fan the spark, you know, uh, like when I see I'll tell you just an instant. I was coaching somebody yesterday and like, you know, they they're trying to get off medication and kind of very morose. And the minute I started putting out those open ended questions and saying, hey, man, you know, like putting that breadcrumb trail down for them, you know. And then when he started talking about certain things that he liked doing, his whole face lit up, you know. And I and by the end of the one hour session, I was like, the dude got off smiling. And I'm like, dude, look, he's like, man, I haven't felt like this in months. You know, so that's what it's all about. I I just tried to see, you know, what is it that's gonna get this guy out of his own head? Because our mind. I've done a lot of studying on that man from you, from the yoga aspects and you know, the five senses are there, um, attached to the sense objects. Then there's the mind above the mind is the intelligence above the intelligence is the soul. So the intelligence is, you know, the intelligence is like the reins on that fucking wild mind that we have that, that out of control horse. You know, that's what I stop and say now. Every time the mind is going to project so many things, oh, let's do this, let's, you know, nonsense. So the intelligence has to kick in and say, hey, hold up. Remember when you did that last time? What happened? That's why Prabhupada talks about three classes of intelligence. He said, first class intelligence is that you can hear, hey, don't touch the fire. You're going to burn your hand, and you don't touch the fire. Second class intelligence is you hear don't touch the flame you're going to burn your hand but you go and touch the flame because you got to see for yourself and you're like shit that hurt I'm not doing that again and then there's the third class intelligence constantly touching the flame and constantly getting burned and constantly going back to it Prabhupada called it chewing the chewed you know like you get a piece of sugar cane you know and then it's put through the Through the sugarcane mill, it's dry like straw and you're trying to suck a little juice out of that sugarcane. So, you know, that's that's the whole thing with me is like I always fell in between the second and third class intelligence. But I'm trying to step up my game now. And I have mentors. I have a coach. I have a coach for uh, business and I also have a coach for sports. Samantha Murphy is my triathlon coach. And it's like Goggin says, you know, when you think you've given it your all, you're only at thirty percent capacity, right? So that's what the coach is there for to say, hey, you know, bullshit, let's let's go, man. And, and same thing with a trainer. That's why we work with trainers because you know somebody that's going to push it push us outside of our comfort zone, and no advancement comes in the comfort zone. The advancement comes when we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, right? That are gonna test us. The true, the test of true character is under pressure, right? If we don't ever put ourselves under pressure, then we're just walking around wearing that mask of characterization in our whole life. Everybody does that. That's why in film writing, you have to put the character under the most fo- focused forces of antagonism by the climax of the film, because at that moment, the real character, the true character of that protagonist will be revealed. So that's what, you know, that's why I love writing and, and studying under Robert McKee and reading his book story, because those are real life lessons, man. That's real philosophy in in, in that book or, or the war of art by Stephen Pressfield or uh, do the work or any of those, books that are about writing and, and creating uh, great characters. The study of characters like, is the study of life to understand how people are going to uh, be reacting when they're put in a certain situation. I think that's why I was a, a natural for writing uh, great characters, because uh, I've been a people person my whole life, studying people you know, all over the world, traveling with the band and do, living as a monk and, you know, traveling to do speaking engagements and being on the streets
0: of New York. One of the things that's that's always been tough about the field of therapy or the field of coaching is that, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, like we, we try our best, but patients and clients can smell bullshit. You know, they know when you you get things and they know when you kind of don't. And we try to tell people, you know, oh, you know, you think I don't get it because that's a distortion on your part. And it's a way that you're not connecting with people. But, but that's pretty much bullshit. Like, you know, that when there's somebody who's been through things and you can look them in the eye and they have the gravitas to get what's going on for you on a deeper level and you can't manufacture that. And that's why I remember when you and I first met, I remember being like, this is the kind of person that needs to be out there helping people because nobody's going to necessarily challenge that it's just it's just a feel you just have a feel when yeah. somebody comes into a room which is great because I think that that's one of the most important parts about forming that alliance but the thing that I I kind of wonder about because I, I, I remember I was going to ask you this at some point I could see people getting concerned coming to you because to a certain degree they're kind of like well I don't know if I can do that at least I could at least right away When you start stacking up all the things you know, you start stacking up the music, yeah. you start talking about the the Iron Man, start talking about the writing, plant-based, you know, everything. And I'm kind of curious, do you do you get that at all? Like, how how do you talk to people who say, well, I want to go to John, but like, I don't think I could be John. So I don't you know don't have how that's going to
1: go. You know, it's it's about, I work with people where they're at, but push them out of that space that they're in. There has to be that accountability, right? That's what it's all about. I'm going to hold. I just said that on my run. That's accountability. I said I was going to run today. I was going to get up. My my fucking plate is stacked. I got this podcast. I'm coaching a client. I'm hustling, man. I'm, I'm up early. I'm writing. I'm not. You don't walk into a first grade math class and try to teach trigonometry. You work with people where they're at. So my thing is not to say, oh, I'm going to, you know, people don't come to me to be Ironmans. People don't come to me to be even plant-based or whatever. People are coming because they're in a rut. They want to get outside of their own heads. They're trying to figure it out. And this COVID shit has been crazy because a lot of people started having that time to sit there and be like, what the fuck is my life? What am I doing with this life? There has to be that that time where we're very introspective and looking inside and, you know, there's so many distractions out there. A lot of people fear being alone. I never had that fear. I've been alone most, you know, except, I mean, I've been in relationships. I'm in a relationship now for like fucking nine years, but I'm saying I never had the fear of, Oh my God, I'm gonna be alone because I never felt alone. You know, it was always diving within and understanding who the fuck I am, you know, beyond this physical plane. So when I coach somebody, every person's different. I do a I do a markup for every single client. You know, there has to be a coaching agreement. Okay, what do we? What are we trying to get done here? What would you like to accomplish in this session? You know, I'm asking the pertinent questions, the when, the where, the why, the how, what. You know, I'm doing a whole coaching is 80 percent listening and 20 percent me talking. And this dude yesterday, my client was saying, man, I just don't have anybody that's doing to, for me what you're doing right now, sitting there listening to me. He's got kids. He's got a a wife that's a professional in in her own right. And he's trying to figure it out. But that dissatisfaction that's there is coming there for a reason, you know. And and that's one of the things that I say. And I'm going to ask that question. Are you happy where you're at right now? Like, how are you going to take the steps What's the action plan? There has to be an action plan. And that's what I want to give them by the end of each session that I do with people. What the fuck is the action plan? What are the steps we're going to take so that the next time I have a session with you, I'm holding you accountable. Did you do what the fuck you said you were going to do? There's no bullshit in this. And my coaching business just started. But if I start seeing people that ain't doing what they're supposed to do, I'm not going to coach them. I'm not doing this for, for the money. You know, it's a bit, it is a business. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I want to be compensated for the hours, you know, that I'm, 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 I'm spending and all that, but it's much more than that too. It's about service to that individual. And if I'm, a good coach, I'm hold, I'm holding them accountable. In Ironman, Man, if I start uh and and one of my uh clients is competing in triathlon, and they had this coach who just kept overloading him with so much shit, it was hurting his body. He's like, Yo, what the fuck? And that coach, her problem, and the reason why she's a shitty coach. Unlike my coach for triathlon, Samantha Murphy, that coach he had did not listen. The client was saying something, but if you already have stuck in your mind that you're right, then you're not going to listen to the client. And then that's not what coaching is about. So I'm listening to to my clients, right? And I, I take notes, very specific. You know, I tell them, look, you know, I'm going to take notes here. What I had to learn was the coaching process. And there is a process to it. The all natural shit. You know, I've been speaking at prisons. I've been speaking at gang, high schools, drug programs. All, you know, fucking people all over the world. I think, like you said, like even this documentary that I did that's coming out, you know, 30 to Life that I created with Paul DeGelder and Kip Anderson who did. Uh, what the Health and Cowspiracy. Um, we worked with convicts that did, most of them did over 20 years in some of the fucking hardest fucking prisons in in California. And when the yoga dude was there and this guy was there talking to the group first, because we had that first meeting, you know, you saw the body language. They're like, this motherfucker ain't, you know. And then when it was my turn to talk to to... Uh, to address them in a very humble way, of course. Then they were like, you know, you start to see the body language. One of the dudes even broke down crying and was like, I can't believe y'all want to come in here and do this for us. You know, society looks at us like a lost cause. They threw us away, you know, because I I related my story. And you can't, a PhD ain't going to get you that you could have a motherfucker with a PhD go in there and try to talk all kinds of book shit to these people that ain't doing nothing because a lot of those people want to see, Hey man, that dude, he's been there, man. He's walked in my shoes. He knows what it's about. And I know what it's like to be locked up against your will and have society tell you, you ain't never going to do nothing but spend the rest of your life in jail or be murdered or, or whatever the fuck, or never amount to nothing. I I was told that, but I had to change that attitude. That's why the PMA effect and that whole process, that book I wrote, that's why it works. Because there is a process to it. The process came through shravanam in Sanskrit. That means hearing. I wrote that yesterday on Instagram. There is a science to the process of hearing, and you have to hear properly. It's just like in the military, the instructor is instructing. Are you listening? Are you paying attention to detail? In yoga, in business, in anything that we learn, even your job as psychologist, you had to listen to the instructors and hear properly. So I went and spent a few months training to get the certification, and now I take my process and inject that into the coaching method. So that's where I came up with the discipline, that it's about discipline. And I really push that and accountability and giving people, you know, making them adhere to that coaching agreement, giving them the action plan, finding out what's, what's going to work for them. And that comes from me hearing as a coach. All right. I'm hearing, I'm writing notes. I'm seeing what mistakes this person made in the past that led to this place that he's at right now. And one of them was like, yeah, I get real fired up about things and then I lose my enthusiasm. We had to get to the bottom of why that happens. And it turns out the things that he was trying to do weren't challenging enough for him because he's a very smart individual and very accomplished Just everything he touched, he had the Midas touch, but everything he touched with things that didn't challenge him enough. So we stacked some stuff on the table that's going to challenge him. And I gave him an action plan. Here's what we got to do. You know, it's a process, though, you know, that we're working towards. And that's why I like I said, I have a coach, too. I'm a work in progress myself. I'm still dealing with shit. But I show up every day to the fight. And that's what I said. I just posted on Instagram, being impeccable with your word. The Four Agreements is a great book. Don Miguel Ruiz. And from the outside, oh, that's easy. I can be impeccable with my word. I can always do your best. I I don't take things personal. But uh, then when you actually try to apply it, see, there is, Prabhupada always said, we don't want armchair philosophers, right? Even you could teach a parakeet to chant mantras Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And then when you grab it by its neck, ka, ka, ka. So that's not what it's about. It's not about being an armchair philosopher, it's about getting the knowledge, getting the knowledge from the Bhagavad Gita or whatever you're trying to do. And applying that knowledge. That's the difference. Most people that that was his problem. He had all these crazy book smarts and all this stuff, but the stuff that he was supposed to apply to his life, he didn't. And you know, that's that's what it's all about is showing up every day,
0: you know. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because one one of the things you were saying before about the prisoners, and it's it's interesting because. A lot of psychology and, 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 you know, coaching is all about in theory, moderation. Like it seems as though everything's about taking the edge off. You know, you're, you're allowed to do a little bit of this, but not too much. You know, you're allowed to do this, not too much. And, and the people who are not represented oftentimes are the people who are just, they have this thing in them, you know, like, like, like his here's, here's an example, like every study of music and art shows that if you do music, if you do art in some capacity, it helps your physical and mental well-being. But that's not the same thing as somebody who's got something burning in them that they have to get out. Something that like drives them, you know, where you can look at a guy and like, if you're on the sidelines and you look at a guy who's like the 12th man in basketball and you're like, ah, that must be so great. You know, all he's just like, you know, he's, he's making millions of dollars and all he doesn't have to do much. And it's like, yeah, but to be that guy, you got it. That's got to drive you crazy, crazy. Because the idea of not competing, the idea of not winning, is is the worst thing for somebody like that. Yeah. And that's the space that is not represented, I think, very well in in you know the mental health. Because you know, even with extreme metal, like you know, they they said, "Oh, this this music's bad for you. This music's bad for." You. And then and then, lo and behold, the studies show that when you listen to extreme metal, it relaxes you. I remember the first time that happened, you know, my, my son's, my, my son's first uh, concert was, which I've shown you the it was, was Chromax. you know, it was, it was uh, uh, sheer terror. Okay. And then it was, and then it was you guys, you know, when he was eight and my daughter, when she hears like, we put on like WSOU in the car, she just leans back and she's like, ah, oh, this is relaxing. Yeah, you know, And it's like, but we didn't, but we tell people, no, 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 no. Do things moderate, do things, whatever. I just think it's like a huge mistake. I think what you're talking about here with that guy is what's often missing in conventional therapy programs. It's like, why does everything have to be moderate, you know, in order to work, you know, some people need to be in the extremes. I, I learned about Rich Roll from you and he was the first person who said that directly, you know, I'm more comfortable in the extremes, you know, yeah. and I think that's where somebody like yourself can really help somebody. Whereas a lot of people in my field would not be able to, cause they don't get that
1: you know, I wrote a quote about, you know, moderation, everything in moderation. Ah, I I don't, I don't, uh, I don't adhere to that philosophy when you're trying to have uh, self-improvement towards people. What I also talk about a lot is the word obsession, right? And too many times there's a negative connotation attached to that. Oh, you know, but Obsession has to be there because there's such a thing called the beautiful obsession, right? So when I get up in the morning, when my eyes open, I can't wait for my feet to touch the floor to get after it. I'm I'm fucking writing. I'm you know for another book. I'm right working on some uh, TV uh, series. I'm working on new music, and then I know I'm going to train. And if you're not obsessed with what you're doing, And that's what I asked somebody yesterday. I go, what would you do even if you weren't getting paid for it? What do you love to do? Oh, man, I was in the ocean on vacation, and I just fucking went in there and swam two hours, and, like, he loved doing it. So that's the question I asked. And, you know, when you're just doing shit for a paycheck, you know, that's the difference between a career – and a job. You know, anybody could have a job. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I've had tons of them. But would you do that job if you weren't getting paid? I spent decades writing and never got paid for it. But I would turn on that computer and open up Word or open up Final Draft to write scenes for a movie or a TV show. And fucking next thing you know five hours went by i'm not sitting there like oh yeah i'm about to get overtime i got six hours uh you know eight hours today 30 dollars an hour in reality if you added up all the decades and hours that i've spent writing even if i sell a sell a script or get hired to write a tv show for 150 200 grand that's fucking like a half a penny a day all the time, but it's because I love what I was doing. And until we find something in life that we love what we're doing, we're never gonna fill that that hole. Every you know, everybody talks about that. There's like this emptiness, man. I just don't feel. I just don't feel like I'm I'm getting anything where I want to be in life. I I feel I feel unsatisfied. So that's what we have to tap into. We have to tap into why that is. That's part of the coaching, the why. Let's fucking, let's peel back those fucking layers of that onion and see what the fuck's going on under there. So that's my job is to get them talking and me listening.
0: Yeah, and I I remember, you know, because when when hardcore was happening early on, you know, I I didn't really know that much about it and I kind of came to it Later on, actually, you know, playing music and talking, you know, got more into it. Talking to people like yourself and Ian MacKay and Steve Albini, and I remember when Stephen Blush, in and I saw American Hardcore, and I remember when I when I talked to him and he said, you know, hardcore is is about success as defined in in non monetary terms, huh. you know. And and I remember Steve Albini like talked about that. He's like, you know, there's two kinds of jobs. There's a job you do for money. And then there's a job that you do because you love to do it and you hope to make money for it. And I remember hearing that. I remember like everything started to make sense after that, because I had always kind of done certain things where I was kind of like, I don't know why I'm doing it, but it makes so much sense when you define it the way that you're talking about right there. And I do think that's what's missing from a lot of people's lives. You know, they think, and they're told early on, like, well, well, where's this going? Like, well, how are you going to make money from it? Like, what's the point of it? And it's like, I don't think that's the best way of do it. I think like what you're talking about about saying to people, "Hey, what are you passionate about? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do if you weren't getting paid for it?" Those those are the questions I think to yeah. ask people.
1: I mean, I've been playing music since 1981. We never made millions of dollars. It's something I love to do. I love writing songs. I love creating art. I love the community that's around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean. I had people tell me, and it was so funny, man, like back in the, oh, when are you going to get serious about life? I'm like, motherfucker, I'm dead serious about life. I'm more serious than you could ever fucking imagine because he became a businessman and he has, you know, the car and the this and the that. Everything, the nature of the material world is everything is temporary, man. We're going to have to give up these bodies one day. So my whole thing is, while I'm here, I'm going to strive to be the best person I can be. I'm going to strive to be of service to as many people as I can. I'm going to strive to create great art to put out into the world with some meaning behind it. And uh, I'm not going to be like yoga. It says in the Gita, you're not supposed to be attached to the result. You do it for the love of the act itself. If if the money comes so be it. Who cares? Like I know so many miserable as fuck millionaires. They wish that they could just enjoy. It's hankering and lamentation. That's there's a saying in Sanskrit, dushpalena Helena cha. And that means the lust burns like fire is never satisfied and that's not sexual lust that means lusting after one thing after another i got to get that fucking car once i get that fucking mercedes benz with the heated fucking seats and then then i'm going to be happy but guess what you get that and you're still not happy after a little while then you're on to the next fucking thing so where where does it end where does it end like where do you slow down and say hey man Let me stop looking out there and let me start looking in here because that's where the real happiness lies. And that's what I try to tell people. Take some time to be introspective, man. Fucking turn the fucking lens inside, man. Let's see what's going on in there. That's the what. What is it that you're not doing or going after in your life that's causing you to have these feelings of uh dissatisfaction in life. That's what we ha- that's what we have to get down to. And not everybody's gonna be an Iron Man, not everybody's gonna compete in triathlon. May- everybody might just go on with their family life and do whatever, but that's why coaching can help relationships, everything, because it's improving that person's life. And when you improve your life, it affects everybody else that's in your circle, you know? So
0: You know, the thing that that <laughs> the thing that bugs me, I guess, sort of is that, you know, what, what happens in these situations, right? And I'm sure, look, you've been through it. Like I, I you know, I don't remember what was that that show? What was that like talk show that you were on, a bunch of the the hardcore kids Donahue? Were on. Donahue, yeah. So it's like, you know, you watch something like that right and you watch like getting like people like with their disgust and their judgment and like all that kind of stuff and now now that it was successful so much of like what we're seeing now with the diy and people like like creating their own businesses is all like to a certain extent those underground cultures like hardcore hip-hop metal like all those people who just were like I don't care if you don't include me. I don't care if you're not into me. I'm doing my own thing. I'm creating my own culture. And you see it now. You see it in culture. Like people really have absorbed that. They may not know part of where it came from, but they've absorbed it. But the thing that pisses me off is that when you see it at the beginning, just like that guy was saying to you, we judge it. We judge it at the beginning and then we congratulate people when they make it through. Like, oh, we were there with you the whole time. You know?
1: Well, that's the whole thing is what I say was like, You know, back in the day, if you had a mohawk or whatever the fuck, motherfuckers would want to fight you. Now it's like every redneck in fucking Alabama has a fucking red mohawk. It's been homogenized and absorbed by the mainstream. But the roots and the revolutionary roots of that culture. And I've been saying that, too, in, in this in this hardcore shit and all these people that are bowing down to all this fucking government bullshit and oversight that's going on right now and overregulating people's lives and all this stuff, and everybody's just falling in line. And I'm like, yo, y'all motherfuckers better go back and listen to some Bad Brains, man, and what the fuck the roots of this shit really is. It was, you know, revolutionary art form, man. Like, and then it gets watered down, like I said, you know. And that's, when I was on Donahue, that's the one thing I said. All they kept talking about was, like, The way I look and I have a punk rock t-shirt and I get judged. It was a bunch of fucking crybabies. And when Donahue came up to me and I said, look, everybody's talking about fashion. Anybody could buy a fucking punk rock t-shirt, get a mohawk and look the part. That's called the fucking poser, okay? The real deal that nobody's talking about is way beyond fashion it's how do we change the fucked up shit that's going on and he took that fucking mic right away from me when he heard what i had to say he gave me no time on the fucking mic because that's all he wanted to talk about was the dumbed down bullshit oh people make fun of me because i have you know tie-dyed pants and and like you know i hang out with all my friends and like my question is where the fuck are they now right you made all this whole big show where the fuck are you now because most of them go away and you don't be surprised at the ones that go you'd be surprised at the ones that stay and keep keeping on and staying with that revolutionary message that this movement was about. I had somebody say that to me the other day. Oh man. Like somebody else said that shit. Cause I posted up something on Instagram and they were like, dude, man, you're 58. Like, when are you going to like fucking give it up already? I'm like, see, you gave it up. You gave it up. I'm still in the motherfucking fight. And, In this day and age, it's more needed than ever. This questioning authority and the rest of the shit that came with this whole genre of music and what we do. That's why I love dudes like Sick of It All and the bands that's still out there questioning shit and writing great music. And there's even a lot of new bands coming that are doing it. Terror and all these these brothers that's out
0: there doing it. Yeah, and it's it's just the idea, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say it that way. It's so like, when are you going to give this up? It's like, because, and that's, that's one of the problems with when, you know, people do some kind of alternative or underground culture is then people say, well, you have to explain yourself in my thinking, right? So it's like, you know, I, for me, I would do something for a certain amount of time and then give it up if it didn't work out. So when are you going to give it up? And it's like, yeah, that, that's not the point. This isn't about giving it up. This is a way of living. You know, the idea of questioning, the, the idea of basically saying, look, if I'm not seeing what I like out there, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to build a culture myself. That's not a, that that doesn't have an expiration date. Yeah. And so that question of like, well, when are you going to give it up? It's like, what do you mean? Give, give it up? Give up what? The whole The whole culture has now been built around underground cultures, like hardcore, hip hop, metal and it even goes before that with you know things like blues so when you're saying like give it up it's almost like what are you what are you looking at because you would have given it up but that's why you wouldn't create a culture
1: well i was pulling up the lyrics to the first blood clot album that we did and i wrote this song called parallel lives right on burn babylon burn And the lyrics are, we live outside the lines in parallel lives. We fight for truth, survive the crazy youth. Infiltrators exposed. When fools speak, we do what's right, stand up to the weak. And then the chorus goes, stay true to your destiny, never turn your back on me. Live to fight, fight to be free, never turn your back on me. They help restore the balance. I'm talking about the motherfuckers that keep you in check, right? The mentors, the teachers, the ones that hold you accountable, they help restore the balance. They set me straight. When shit gets crazy, I use them to re- to insulate. But I must confess, I tend to stress if they mistake my kindness for weakness. So we always been living outside the lines. That's like like. When the fuck did hardcore and all this music be like such fucking slaves to the government and the corporations and the politicians? They've lied and cheated and fucked us over for fucking decades. Do the research, the the Tuskegee Air fucking men experiments, all the shit they've done over the years. And now we're supposed to fucking trust them? And I don't? I stay true to my motherfucking roots? And you want to criticize me for that? you're the sellout you're the fucking sellout i'm more fucking fired up than i've ever been over what the fuck is going on so that's why i'm writing some of the best shit i've ever fucking written in my life now i've been writing new lyrics for blood clod we're working on this album and i got tom capone from quicksand playing guitar fucking uh the drummer who played on mad um my boy Darren playing drums and, and, and the bass player was in like fucking um, Manny was in uh, a whole bunch of fucking bands burn and every, and we're just creating great music and having a great time and being around. It's incredible. Like, why would I want to give that up to go be miserable and join the joint camp miserable? They're in camp miserable. Like people are like, wow, you got a great life. I'm like, I made that fucking life for myself. You know, I'm writing books, I'm writing films, TV shows, this, that, working on comedies, fucking coaching, doing this, competing in Iron Man, fucking cooking shows, cookbooks. I I don't stop. I'm on my grind, and you do one thing and you sold out and you left your shit. And see, that's the whole thing. There's a great analogy. If you look, and I hate to use it because I don't eat any crabs or whatever, but, you know, if you take a pot of fucking boiling water and the crabs are in there, if a crab tries to get out, the other crab will pull him back down. The other crabs pull him back down to his death. So those types of people that say that type of shit, that's what they are. They're crab-like motherfuckers, and I, I don't even listen to them. Like, I just go do... What I feel in my heart that makes me happy, it's my obsession. I get to, I get to do all this stuff. I get to wake up and go swim or, or ride my bike or fucking write lyrics or help people. Why would I give that up? Like what sense does that make to be unhappy like you? It's that authentic self. And that's what, you know, I try to uncover even in the coaching business you know, you may not be a musician, you may not be uh, a writer, you may not be any of those things, but there's still the authentic self is still there within you to create some great stuff in your life, even if it's creating a great business or creating a great relationship or a great family life, whatever the case may be.
0: Always great talking with you, always inspirational. Definitely. And uh, you know, honestly, best uh best of luck with this, man. I'm so glad that you're out in the space and thank you so that means a lot coming from you. Well, listen, looking forward to the next time we get a chance to talk, my man.
1: Definitely, man. All right. All right, and getting in the pit together.
0: Absolutely. With your son. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it. So there you have it. John Joseph talking about his journey to becoming a life coach. Now, there's so much to take away from the conversation with John. The first thing is that with everything John has been through, he never stops grinding. One of the biggest risks we face when we experience mental or physical illness or extreme stressors like the ones John has faced is giving up. It is so difficult to just keep going, to keep moving forward in some way. We naturally take an all-or-none mentality that if we don't do things fully to the best of our abilities, it's just a waste of time to do anything. But sometimes, even when we are at our lowest, we can try to think through basic routines to connect to ourselves and to develop and maintain our discipline. And we have to give ourselves credit for just doing what we need to do to survive before we can necessarily think about thriving. Once we are out of that state of just trying to survive, we can build on that discipline and continue to work towards our purpose. The other point that John made was that he always sought out mentors, people to whom he looked for guidance to build his life. And even if we don't have direct access to mentors per se, we can look to others that we see in the world as inspirations to help us work towards our goals. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear on the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.